I think we're <laughs> I think we're I think we're ready to go, ready to rumble. Okay. You you good to go? I'm ready, yeah. Yeah? Okay, cool. I always get I always forget what I'm about to say, so <laughs> just give me a second. <laughs> I always forget what I'm about to say. I'm like, what am I about to say? Okay, cool. Hi guys, welcome to the one podcast. It's with your host, Aki. And today I have a guest with me, like always. I don't even know why I bother even saying I have a guest with me because I always have a guest with me now. Um, but I have a guest with me. She's someone that I've known for a very long time. She is amazing. She's one of a kind and her work is amazing as well. And it's so amazing to see her flourish into the person that she has now become. And my guest is Zara. Hi, Zara. Woo! Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> That was really sweet, Axe. That's such a nice day. Oh, um, oh, of course. I've got to. I've got to give you um, you know, a grand opening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an audience, but my audience is going to listen to you. So, <laughs> um, no, I really appreciate that because obviously, I mean, I've known. I've, I've, it's weird, like thinking about how long I've actually known you for, and like I feel it's like been too long. Yeah, we've like drifted in and out of each other's lives, but. Um, I feel like our friendship's always been there, which is really nice as well. Yeah, definitely. It's it's weird. Like, obviously, guys, Zara, do you want to tell them how we know one another? <laughs> is it is it Friday class? Is it school? I can't remember. I think it was first Friday class. Yeah, and then um, oh my god, do you remember we were in? Oh, by the way, guys, before we carry on, <laughs> Friday class um, basically is we used to go to an Islamic like a group. And um, we we called it Friday class because every Friday they would just have like talks about like Islam and stuff like that. And we we met through that like, you know, group because my uncle um, was a part of that group and Zara's dad was part of that group. And yeah, that's how, you know, we we got introduced and that's how we know each other. I think that's that is it, isn't it? Yeah, that is it. And then also we went to the same school, but we were in years. And I remember the first time I met you in school was when. Do you remember? No, I remember it so well, man. We were reading. Um, we were in reading club, man. Do you remember reading? Oh my god, I'm such a neat. <laughs> we both were, but like it's fun. We were in That's weird. I was such a neaky person. <laughs> it wasn't even like a big reading club. They were literally like five or six people out of the whole school yeah and I can't believe I can't believe I was involved in that but um yeah I remember you talking about um the first thing I heard you say was there was a book called does my head look big in this by Randa Abdel Fattah which is all about her wearing a headscarf and you're like yeah you're like I'm reading this book and I really fancy the main character in it as well Uh, I was like, oh, she's funny. Um, but no, it is actually a good book. I'd recommend it for anyone. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good book. Um, I, I loved it. And at that point, I, I don't know how old I was when I went to Reading Club. I think I was just started in year seven. Yeah. And at that point, I think I was, um, I think I was like evolving as a person. That's when like, you know, like I was really doing my own research into Islam and stuff like that. And um, I wore the headscarf uh I, th- I think I think I was in year eight when I decided to fully wear it and I wore it for a year and a bit and then I, I don't know if it was year seven or year eight I remember wearing it for a year and a half and then I decided to not wear my headscarf and 
yeah that's basically I guess because I was really young at that point and I was like discovering who I am and what decisions I want to do and I remember the the day that I wore my headscarf for the first time at school um my dad dropped me off to school and he was saying to me in the car he's like are you sure about this and I was just like yeah why why would I not be sure about it um and I don't regret it and I one thing I do regret is why I took it off I'd I'd, like I don't know why I took it off I suppose you're quite young though I think at that time um obviously I don't want to speak for you because this is your experience but um I think at that time like you and I know this from my experience as well from wearing the headscarf at that age like you I really wanted to fit in like with and obviously we went to like a majority non-Muslim majority white school with a lot of racism in it as well um yeah just it's not even the fact that you necessarily want to be popular but it's just you don't really want to be you don't want to be an easy target and I think or singled out as well in a way yeah yeah I I still like I don't know why I don't remember why I took off my headscarf if I'm honest with you because it was so long ago I was so young like I was what 13 probably I was younger than 13 I was probably like 12 or something and um, bear in mind, guys, this was all just like my own decision. I wanted to wear the headscarf, so I did. My mum and dad were fully supportive. And yeah, and then later on, I decided I was like, no, I don't want to wear my headscarf. And I think also now as I'm growing older, my thing is like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to wear it. But I don't know, there's like a block in a way. Like, I just feel like, mm, am I ready to wear it? Or, you know, I don't know. It's a difficult conversation, isn't it? Yeah. The headscarf one, because it's like, because there's so many people with so many different opinions and stuff like that. But I'm not scared to wear the headscarf, if that's the best way to put it. I'm not scared to wear it. Yeah. Like if I, you know, when when I do decide to wear it, then yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna be hesitant. Like oh, I'm planning to take it off type of thing because that'll be it. Like I'll wear it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's um the case with a lot of people. Um, they want to yeah. put it on when they know they can commit to it. But I feel like I don't know. I think I, when I was really young, I used to see it as a very clear cut issue. Like oh, like yeah, I need to wear it, so I'm going to wear it. Um, not necessarily putting that pressure on anyone else, but that's how I saw it within myself. But I think and I yeah, I just kind of thought when I have when I have kids, like they'll just wear it. But I think my my um, opinion and my outlook is so different now, uh, and obviously it's changed. I mean, I was only a kid when I had when I thought about that kind of stuff. But like, my outlook is so different now. It's just like I wouldn't. I think young women, especially Muslim women, especially women of color, you have so much that you're dealing with um, already to then do mm. this other thing, or even like, I think it's not it's not a case of I wouldn't want to tell them to wear it. I just wouldn't want to shame them into wearing it I think yeah I think the shame element of it is so I think that's what it is now because things are so different now things are not like how they used to be everyone now like it's like your your every step is being watched and when you wear a hijab as well you're you're watched even more and then you're just like well that's not that's not the right way to do it but then again what is the right and wrong way because as far as I'm aware you know, like with all, you know, I'm educating myself about Islam as well. I'm educating myself. I'm seeing what it is that, you know, what do we do? Why do we do what we do and stuff like that? As you grow older, you will naturally, you know, 
inshallah when it comes to that point you will naturally be drawn towards it that's your calling then that's when you know the time's right because you will naturally go towards it and you will naturally be like i want to find out about x y and z you're you literally want to learn yeah do you know what i mean but when you're young it's enforced on you yeah to be religious like you know I'm not saying that's a bad thing I'm saying that that's the way of our that's the way how we build our faith I mean if my parents didn't enforce Islam onto me then I wouldn't be who I am today do you know what I mean but my parents never like shoved it down my throat yeah type of thing like they were just like Islamically you're not meant to do x y and z in the and you know like when I used to ask them why why am I not allowed to do this then they would say they would they would give me an answer say this is the reason why we're not allowed to do it Mm. so you know you can't question what's what we have been told to do which is you know yeah you know like it's one of those type of things but I think there's um there's some unfortunately some some parents can be really really strict on their children and you know um enforce it a bit too much and then you know they feel like they're obligated to you know wear the hijab wear a niqab a burqa whatever it is that they want to wear I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing I'm saying that whatever you know like if you want to wear the niqab if you want to wear a burqa by all means you know like that's that's what you want to do but it's difficult as well because being a modern day woman and especially a Muslim woman, it's so hard. Like it's so hard. Eyes are on you. Eyes are always on you, especially when you're when you show that sense, show that little bit of like I'm into my faith. I feel like you're watched more when you're wearing a hijab mm. and when you're wearing a burqa and when you're wearing a niqab and all that stuff. People watch you even more because then they feel like they have they feel like I don't understand why you feel like I your advice is needed. It's unsolicited advice, like oh, yeah. you shouldn't be doing that or you should be doing this. But whereas in whereas in Islam, we've all been taught from a young age, and I hope we've all been taught from a young age is that God wants to see you try, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Also, I mean, one of the nice things that I learned in like Friday class as well, and and it's stuff that I've kind of learned as I've got older as well, is like um, you can't. You, none of us are in any position to judge anyone else's religion um mm. you know I could be wearing a headscarf and do like doing loads of shit or I could be not wearing a headscarf and doing loads of good stuff and you know vice versa it doesn't I don't think um hijab is is an indicator of piety and um, yeah. really I do think that um I think that hijabis are like you said they're unfairly targeted a lot yeah and I think it's just like like growing up I would hear things like uh you're an ambassador so on one hand I would have things like from society and from the community and they would say things like oh you're you're an ambassador for Islam because you're wearing a hijab so you need to be a role model and at first I think growing up I, I took this in my stride and I was just like okay fine I'll be a role model I can do that but then obviously you grow up and you make mistakes and and you fall it's but it's okay to make those yeah, mistakes and I think people don't realize that I think people think just because I have to wear hijab I can't make a single mistake no that's not the case yeah you will make mistakes every day in your life whether you wear a hijab or whether you don't wear a hijab yeah do you know what I mean a hijab doesn't define you as a person yeah it just shows your love for God yeah definitely as well and I think it's um I think that's the beauty of it and I think if you're yeah I mean with anything to do with religion if your religion makes you arrogant and look down at people then you're not doing it right basically so if say for example you're doing good things like you're fasting every day you're fasting every day and you're praying and you're doing all this stuff but you're looking down at people 
for not doing it or you wear hijab and you're looking down at people for not doing it or even that you're judging hijabis like if you are judgmental and if you are arrogant you are literally undermining the good deeds that you've done and I think that is another that is such another element and it goes back to shame and obviously it goes back to what we want to talk about mental health is um this this idea of shame and blame and guilt uh, and emotional blackmail that a lot of us a lot of us still go through I mean I'm very lucky that I have quite progressive parents and they've always kind of encouraged me to to do the best I can be and it's they've never forced me into marriage or anything like that they've always encouraged me to follow my dreams and I'm very blessed in that way but I still think there's such a long way to go in terms of it just you know in with Asian parents in general um not even just Asian parents but like you know people of color um the way that we deal with mental illness, the way that we deal with anything that's different, we still place such a taboo on stuff and we don't, I think our generation is starting to question it, but our parents' generation are still, they're still stuck in that. So for example, periods, like I don't, I will talk about periods all the time. I don't feel, it's not something I feel embarrassed about. Um, I did when I was younger because I didn't know any better, but now it's like, it's a normal bodily function. Uh, And (laughs) when I talk about it at home, um like I'll be like oh yeah my period in front of like my dad or my granddad or whoever and they'll be like oh do you have to say it like that Zara and I'm like what's your what is your what is your period? like it's really not a big deal but it's like then they're not they don't shout at me for it and I'm not they don't make me feel ashamed but it's like they they get weird about it and I just find that bizarre and you know I will talk about it in front of my brothers and stuff like that because I think it's important they know um especially if as boys um and I think, like, I've had this conversation with so many people. I was speaking to, like, a family friend the other day, and she was saying how she didn't want her son to, to learn about sex education, which, like, about puberty, uh, because yeah. he's not there yet. And she was like, I don't want him to learn about periods because it's not for his age. And I was like, but the school is teaching him, so what's the problem? And she said, oh, no, it's periods, and I don't want, I don't, I don't want him to learn about it. And I said, but he's got a sister. So do you know what I mean? Like, he's got a sister. They're living in the same house. Like, surely it's not a problem if he knows and then she said oh no do you feel like this is mainly like sorry to interrupt um do you feel like this is mainly a generate like the the old generation that have this mentality because obviously us being the new generation we don't think like that like for me if I was to get a letter saying to me that my kid is going to be learning about um the sexual reproduction system and all that whatever it is then I will be like, okay, cool, That they need to learn, let's do it. And then after when they've learned that, obviously the schools do let parents know, they're like, well, as far as I'm aware, they do let the kids' parents know that, yeah, they're learning about this today. This is the, you know, video or the PowerPoint slides and stuff like that. Because I remember when I was in primary school, my mum got a letter from my um, primary school saying that we are going to be teaching the girls about you know the sexual reproduction system about periods and you know boys girls that type of thing and they were going to do like a video type thing so they called the parents in and they showed the parents the videos and stuff like that and once they watched the video and they authorized it they were like okay cool kids can watch it or whatever so my mum fully was aware that I was going to watch this and then when I came home that day she did ask me she's like do you have any questions about anything like mm. about these things and obviously I was young so I didn't know anything about periods and stuff like that and 
and then my mum taught me and said like you know this is this is there's gonna be a point where you're gonna start your period don't be scared you're not dying or anything like that so you know like you sit down and you talk to your children about it obviously because my mum I guess because my mum was brought up here and she's very like modern like not literally modern modern but she's like traditional model mod, mod, I can't even speak she's like a traditionalist but yet modern she's she's with it do you know what I mean she knows what's going on so she was like okay cool they need to learn they need to learn type of thing so do you feel like it's because of some people's upbringings and the way that they have been brought up and they just feel like it's a taboo type of thing because obviously people from back home you know like I'm saying like from Mauritius or from Bangladesh and if they were to come here and then their kids was to like go to their parents and be like mum dad we're going to be learning about I don't know periods and stuff they're going to be like oh my god why (laughs) do you know what I mean like it's one of those type of things where I feel like it's an old generation mentality and unfortunately some people carry it on because I don't think it's a taboo subject like I don't even know why we even having this up for a debate let the boys know what periods is yeah, you know they need to learn. They're gonna get married eventually, aren't they? <laughs> so they're gonna have to know. Yeah, they're gonna exactly. they're gonna be with girls at one yeah. point. So they need to learn, right? But but my my feeling is like it's so much. <laughs> it's like people hate hearing this, but I say it to a lot of old fashioned people, and they get really angry. But I'm sorry, boys as young as the age of eight are looking at porn online. If they can look at porn, they can learn about periods. That's literally how I feel about it, and. And, and this is the thing, like, a lot of parents want to bury their heads in the sand and think, oh, no, my son isn't looking at that. I remember my brother went to swimming and he was, I think he was, like, I think he was really young. He was, like, eight or nine. And someone said to him at swimming, they were, like, oh, type in sex into Google. And um, he came home. I mean, like, bless him, he came home and he asked, he told my mum that someone told him to do that. But it was, like, do you know what I mean? Like, this boy was eight that told him to do that, eight or nine. And we think we're so far away from it. We think because we've taught our kids um, not to not to do stuff like that, that they won't do it. But I'm sorry, your ki- you don't know your real kids, man. Like just like our parents didn't know everything that we got up to, you don't know your kids as well as you think you do. And I think that's what so many parents what they they want to control their kids so badly, not realizing that actually let them go a little bit and they will come back to you. Yeah, I feel like that's. I feel like obviously. I agree with you and I feel like to a certain extent yeah you need to be able to give that freedom to children because the more you restrain them and especially being in like an Asian society especially in a Muslim society the more you enforce you put enforcements around your children the more they're going to want to venture out the more they're going to be like well it's like you want to do what you've been told not to do yeah do you know what I mean? It just makes you feel like, oh, well, I'm going to go and do it now because you told me not to do it. It's like that thrill yeah. of doing it. Whereas my, you know, like I can't speak for everyone. Whereas my my mum, you know, and my mum my and dad, they're very like, they're laid back. They're chilled. They're like, okay, we trust you. We know you're not going to do anything stupid. Yeah. You know, you got free reigns type of thing. But uh, there are times when if I do speak to my mum and dad and I say, mum, dad, I want to do this, they'll be like, sometimes my mum and dad will be like, no, are you mad? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, sometimes you need to put that enforcement yeah, and be like, you know. Yeah, of course. But I mean, I think this is the thing, though. I think it's it's so, it's different. If you don't chat to your child at, at all when they're a kid and you don't play with them, you don't get to know them, 
And then once they've become a teenager, you start putting in rules. They're going to ignore you. Um, like there's a there's a famous hadith that says, um, play with your child up till the age of seven, then teach them for seven, and then befriend them for seven. So it's like up yeah. to the age of seven, we're literally like you have you're having jokes with them, playing around. You're meant to instill all of their teachings from the age of seven to fourteen. Those seven years are their crucial years where they learn everything. Um, and then once it gets to 14, you have to, to an extent, be able to let them think for themselves and not try and enforce things at that age. The issue is with Asian parents, as soon as your, your daughter becomes a teenager, that's when you start putting in all the rules. And she's mm. like, but hold on a second. Like, you haven't taught me anything yet. So you haven't taught me anything. You haven't shown me the wisdom behind it. But now all of these rules are being placed and it, and obviously they're going to rebel. And then, yeah. and the thing is, when Asian teenage girls rebel, the, the scary thing is, is that they have nowhere to go if things go wrong. And I think, yeah. like, if you're, you know, God forbid, what if you're in an abusive relationship and you can't tell your parents about it? I think that yeah. is, those are the, some of the biggest, like, those are some of the biggest, like, the, the scariest things, I think. And we're scared of our, your daughter meeting someone online or whatever. But what if the person that she trusts the most, what someone that she's actually with is treating her horribly. They don't have to be a stranger online to be abusive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think there are... I don't think, I don't think abuse is just like a, you know, like, oh, it's just a, it's, if you go through this route, you're going to get abuse yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. Like people, people can get abuse from every single way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't have to just, you know, you can know someone for years and be mentally or physically or emotionally being abused by them do you know what I mean like it doesn't even matter abuse comes in many forms and I think a lot of Asian girls as well you know like especially especially in our community as well I feel like a lot of girls stay quiet and I think that's a massive problem I don't understand why some people feel like they're shackled to the ground where they feel like they can't escape like for me even now like you know like as I'm growing up and I'm seeing certain things that I don't agree with and I'm just like I don't agree with this because I don't like the way that this person's treating you or I don't like the way that this guy's talking to you you deserve so much more I don't know why you're bound by it and it's just one of those things where girls sometimes are just the the question is well he's all I know Mm -hmm. he's all I know you know like I I married him and you know like I thought he's gonna be this and that girl get out yeah (laughs) get out man like you know it's just one of those type of things is it by force is it by force come and suffer yeah yeah like i'm pretty sure god didn't put me on this planet to be treating like a mug yeah i know but this is this is what's so sad about it like our view of and, and this is the thing like i think the majority of people um you you know your own experience right so you all you can judge all you could you can't you can only judge things by the very small amount of spirits and 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 you know the, your life expertise that you actually have um and that's why you know when we're when even people are talking about mental health mental health is aimed at a white audience it's not aimed mm. at, it's not tailored for asian for asian yeah women. it's not it's not tailored for black women there's still such yeah. a long way to go and i think like everything it's always for a white audience first and because mental health is still taboo in general we have such a long way to go before it becomes accessible to people like us and because when you think about the shit that we go for on a daily basis you know not having mm. having to deal with racism having to deal with islamophobia having to deal with um you know being emotionally stunted because you haven't you haven't necessarily been taught the right way to to love and the right you know the right things to kind of look forward to 
Um, but I, as a child, I got told that the best thing to look forward to was marriage, not by my family, but like by society, by the community. Everyone was, mm. oh, once you get, mar- get married really young and then you can enjoy your life. I think that's so ridiculous. Like that's such a ridiculous bullshit. Yeah, you need to know who you are before you get yeah. married. And if you don't know who you are, then so- someone is gonna you're, you're gonna be malleable, and someone is gonna tell you who you are. I feel like people think by getting married is gonna solve everything. And no, getting married doesn't solve anything. And especially when you got unresolved trauma, you're taking it into that relationship, and you're what you te- what you don't. There was a quote that I read that it said that what you don't solve in your alone time, you're going to take that on to your together time and you're going to ruin everything. Yeah, I like you're going to ruin everything and you can't do that. You cannot carry what you have got unresolved issues, trauma, whatever it is that you're going through into a relationship, which is fresh. And also you need to be considered. I think a lot of people are not, are not considerate, especially our generation. We're very selfish. People do things for their own benefit and what's, what's good for them. Yeah. You need to realize that once, once you get married, you you're going to unknowingly you're going to enforce stuff on that person as well if you're miserable and you have unresolved stuff you're going to deflect naturally onto your partner and your partner's going to be like what the hell is going on here I don't understand why is this happening yeah it's because you haven't even dealt with what you're going through and you're putting that shit on someone else which they don't deserve definitely I mean literally I, I and this is what you said is bang on I'm saying like from personal experience like when I got married, I was having uh, therapy and counselling before I got married. And then for a year before I got married, I was so busy, like so much happened in my life. Like I lost my grandma, I lost my great grandma, I lost a close family friend who was only 20. And um, and ev- so much crap happened and I was planning a wedding and I didn't actually, it's re- it sounds so messed up to say, but I didn't have time to put myself forward for counselling and to talk to my GP. I didn't have time to do any of that. So obviously mm. when I got married, like, Alhamdulillah, I have a really, um, I have a really um, supportive husband. Um, but but even however supportive he may be, he's not my therapist. And yeah. like in order to, and, and the thing is with marriage as well, what people don't realize is marriage forces you to confront all of the nasty things you have about yourself. Um, like people yeah. think that marriage is going to be easy. In fact, the reason it's not easy is because you have someone who is there all the time that can call you out when you're being when you're being manipulative when you're being narcissistic when you're being toxic you've got someone yeah. who can call you out on that and if you haven't sorted that out before you get married like that like it's not it's not I'm not saying marriage is end because you're a bad person but like but I think that's a big thing that people go into marriage not knowing and it's something that makes it a lot harder so it's like if you think that being with someone is going to make your your depression or your anxiety go away then it's a mistake because it's something that I'm not saying you need to be completely sorted to get married mm-hmm. but you need to be working on yourself like your mental health yeah. your mental health I mean you deserve empathy for your mental health but your mm-hmm. mental health is ultimately your responsibility yeah you know if you definitely have, like I yeah. actually agree with you 100% happiness doesn't come into your lap you have to go and find it you have to make peace with your past you need to deal with unresolved trauma what's going on and once you are able to do that you as a person become so much more stronger Mm. the sense of discernment of things that no longer matter 
is at an all-time high when you have finally figured out who you are yeah because you know who you are as a person and you know you're not going to stand for shit yeah and I think that's so important that girls realize marriage is not a quick escape out you will be taking so much more baggage with you when you get married. So it's not one of those type of things where it's going to be easy, where you're like, yeah, cool, you know, I'm getting married. My husband's going to be doing X, Y, and Z. No, it's not that at all. It's so important for you to know who you are as an individual, what you bring to the table. Don't be be saying, what are you bringing to the table? Ask yourself, ask yourself, sit there and talk to yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what do I bring to the table? What can I do? Do you know yourself well enough? Are you able to handle certain things now? Because you can't be in a relationship with someone when you're not willing to listen and to understand the other person. You need to be able, you need to be able to, obviously they say compromisation needs to happen. Yeah, you need to compromise, but obviously within means, what needs to be compromised in, but you can't literally be expecting miracles to happen in a marriage. Marriage is hard. You need to have patience with marriage as well. Your partner is going to pull you up on shit that you don't, that you don't want to acknowledge. He's going to be like, are you... Are you all right? Is everything okay? Yeah, literally, yeah. yeah. Like, that's if, if he's someone that is, like, this is, a, again, like, if let's say you you get married and your partner has severe depression. Mm. I don't, I think you should be supportive as much as you can, but at the end of the day, you also have your own mental well-being to look after. Like, at the end of the day, if, if, if you're with someone that is refusing to get help and refusing to get better um, or, or refusing to, to, to find ways of coping then you can't stay with someone like that. I, I don't believe, you know, when people say the stupid stupidness that like, if you, you can't, you can't expect someone else to love you when you don't love yourself. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I think you can, we're, we're all learning to love ourselves. It's going to take yeah. a long time. That's a whole journey. But, and even when you're after your marriage, you're still learning how to love yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I you know what I mean? Yeah. So in that sense, I wouldn't necessarily say you need to love yourself before you get married, but you need to know who you are and you need to know what, what issues are there about yourself that you need to confront. Um, because burying it and ignoring it is not gonna, it's not gonna make anything better. Um, and, and that's coming from someone that, that knows because, genuinely like even when I have my if I have therapy sessions I don't then go to my husband and rehash everything um Mm. you might be like oh how did it go and I'll be like oh it was fine we talk about other stuff but I don't need to tell him everything that I said that that sometimes if something happens and I'm like oh wow I didn't realize that then I might tell him that but I don't go to him after I've had this hour session and say oh we spoke about all of this kind of stuff and that kind of stuff and this because it's not I think he'd be happy to know, but it's nice to kind of keep that part, you know, for me because I think, my mental health. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think it's something that's very personal. Um, yeah. This is also like, I don't know if I told you this as well, but I've been, I, I've actually been having therapy for a long time as well. Yeah. And I, I personally think that my time with my therapist is my private time yeah I don't want to include anyone in it and I'm not and to be honest with you I don't feel like I need to explain to anyone anything about it yeah if I'm honest with you because that because I'm paying her for a reason yeah do you know what I mean I'm paying her for a reason and she's there for that reason 
I feel like it's one of those things where like like you said there'll be certain times where you know like I'm speaking to her and I'm saying to her like you know this is and she will make me see things in a different light and then I would be like oh my god that you know like when when she when I leave a session with like an analogy that she's given me then I might I might I might I might use that and I'll be like oh well you know what said that you know like this this is the analogy and oh it's so cool isn't it like now when she said it now it makes sense because you know I love doing that thing you know like after a session like now now when I'm now when I leave a session I love leaving my sessions feeling like I learned something today you know like I actually I tapped into something whereas beginning of my therapy like you know my therapy journey Mm. it was difficult man like honestly every session that I would leave I would feel exhausted you know like it's like a battlefield and it's a battlefield with your mind yeah that's what it is because you're literally having to undig everything and go to the root of the cause you're not looking at the top part where it's all like a tree looking all nice with some couple of apples on it you're going right to the root of the cause and thinking what's happening that's making this apple tree look a bit sad do you know what I mean like it's that it's that type of thing where you need to go down to the root undig everything up figure out what's going on wrong where you know like place place everything into its box you know what I mean like they have that thing where they they say that everything has its own compartment Mm -hmm. in your mind yeah yeah so you need to put it in this box and this box and this box so, you know, when people initially start going to therapy, their boxes are all everywhere. It's like a messy office, you yeah. put it like that. And then you've got to tidy it up and it takes time to put everything in the right place that it needs to be put in. Mm-hmm. But once you, once you get to that stage, the, uh, the aftermath of the journey is much more lighter than the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be easy. I'm not saying that it's ever going to be easy, but it just makes you put things into perspective and you start enjoying the sessions because you learn more about yourself and that is the path of Mm self-discovery you know what I mean so once you have that self-discovery path going on for you you realize so much more I feel like you know since this year has started personally for me my mental health is no longer up for sale yeah I come first my peace my sanity, my well-being, emotionally, physically, mentally, health-wise, sleep-wise, anything-wise, is so expensive that I'm not willing to sacrifice it for anything. Yeah. I will never, my best investment in myself, forget all the materialistic things that I have in my room, I could be saying that, you know, my phone is my best thing. I do not regret spending a single, single penny on my sessions. That has been the best investment of my life. That's a lifetime change. That's a lifetime experience that I've got that no one can ever give me. That journey of self-discovery by having therapy is the best journey that I've had so far in my life. Because I've known myself so much more now. I've learned about myself so much more. I I didn't realise there was so much about me that had to be discovered until I started doing therapy does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so now I'm at that stage where I'm just like therapy for me is my downtime I I I use my therapy as the time where I'm like nope 
I don't, I'm, this is my time now. This is my time. I can say what I need to say. And even if it sounds crazy, I'm not going to get judged. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important with therapy because a lot of people find it difficult to talk to other people because they feel like they're going to be judged. Whereas when you have therapy, you're not going to be judged. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that people don't, especially within the Asian community, think therapy as a taboo thing. It's so it's sometimes it's easier to talk to someone who doesn't know you than someone that that has known you all your life because they're going to look at you thinking what's going on have you lost your have you lost the plot that type of thing mm-hmm. and i feel like it's easier it's easier to talk to someone that doesn't know because it's a clean slate because they don't know nothing yeah no i i i really respect i really respect you for that as well um for kind of having that commitment to yourself i think not a lot this is the problem like it's not the way that you're coming at it and your your uh, attitude towards it is rare. People aren't like that. People don't have that. Even when people are going to therapy, it's still so tough to engage. But what people don't realise is it's not meant to be comfortable. It's it's not meant to be because you're never... Therapy is not meant to be comfortable. <laughs> but people, want it to, people think it's going to be like in the movies where you have this cathartic moment and you cry and everything's better. That's <laughs> not what it is. Like, yeah, no. And also... The change doesn't even happen in the session. The change happens outside of the session. Uh, exactly. The most. And, and yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I just think it's, it's just so much. There's just so much that I wish the younger generation could know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to feel, feel a certain way. It's, it's okay to, that you're feeling this bad. It's Also, it's okay to feel emotion. I think when I was growing up, I got told... Um, and when you're sensitive, apparently, if you're sensitive, you're pre you're predisposed to depression, uh, just through being sensitive as well. So it, the two are kind of linked, and also depression runs in my family. So um, it, it shouldn't be as taboo as it is. Like m- my granddad had really severe depression, um, like throughout. He had he had a very very difficult life, and obviously it takes its toll. Um, and I think when, when even when we hear story, when my granddad always just telling story to us when we were kids. I was just like, oh, wow, like, you went through all of that, but his mental health was never really discussed. And obviously, because mental health is being left out of the story, you don't realise how important it is. It was only as I got older and I told my family that, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna be on this medication, I'm doing this therapy, blah, blah, blah. And my granddad was just like, oh, yeah, I was on, I used to be on that medication. And I was like, why did you never tell me? Like, why do we not talk about this? Why is that something that is left out? And I suppose because it was such it was a story he told me as a child like maybe it wasn't maybe maybe depression isn't something you talk a child about about to a child but I I think for some kids it's their normality like what if you're a child and your parent has depression um and and they're dealing with it it's you know it I don't think it should be this whole thing where we have to shield it from children just like um, a lot of white parents shield racism from their children um and, and and it works because those children, white kids don't have to deal with racism every day in the same that people in the same way that people of color do, um, and I think when you haven't dealt with your mental health properly, I don't necessarily think I think everyone deals in, with their mental health in a different way. Yeah, definitely. Um, like my auntie, she has she had really severe depression, like really severe depression, um, and we were talking about it, and she said, um, she said something like, "Oh yeah, no, sometimes your depression is your fault," and I was like, "Okay." you have severe depression, you've been on medication, you've had therapy, 
but you're still you still have a long way to go if you think it's your fault if you think that you should take the blame for it it's no one's fault mate like it's not anybody's fault it's not your fault it's it's a mental illness it's something that you get better for it's like saying oh I have a headache it's all my fault or I broke I, I broke something or I got ill in this way and it's all my fault like it it doesn't make sense to think about it like that but I do think um I don't know I think our generation changing things I think it's just an issue when um because say for example if you've been brought up in that way right and you mm. we tend to we tend to um to to kind of speak to people that have we tend to speak to people that look like us that have the same upbringing as us that has the same religion as us and I'm lucky that I didn't do that and that's because I happened to go to a white school um after after year 11 all of my best friends that were all of my best friends were of color um all of all of them left so I I, I, in sixth form pretty much everyone was white I think I had I had one black friend that I was really close to but everyone else was white in sixth form Uh, and because of that I spoke to people that were different to me then I went to uni in London and I spoke to people everybody was different everyone in my circle was different um however I know people that went to school were just friends with Asian Muslims went to um college just friends of Asian Muslims went to uni just friends of Asian Muslims and in that sense you don't learn about how other people deal with stuff and because you're in that bubble of course you're going to pass that on to your children and it's and it's similar in a way to um you know the the racist people I went to school with they never they they still work in the area they didn't go away for uni um so they They've grown up, make potentially in a racist family. Um, they have racist friends. They've worked. They're working in the local area. No one's challenging their views. Of course, they're going to pass that on to their children. I, I do still blame them for it. I'm not saying they're blameless, but it's just when you expose your th- yourself to other stuff. If you're lucky enough to get that exposure, then that is what is going to give you this mindset that is different. But I think there's so many people. I think we're lucky because we've done that. But the amount of people that have an Aki is, is ridiculous. And it's like, I just think you have a responsibility to speak to people who don't have the same experience as you. We all have, mm. it enriches your life to do it. Yeah. So. I think we we need to take responsibility as well for what what happens and stuff like that. You know, I think it's, especially within the Asian community, talking about mental health is like a, you know, like when you talk about mental health, sometimes people turn around and are like, what's mental health? Never heard of it before. But really and truly, it's the ones that are saying, it's the ones that are in denial about it that are the ones that are suffering the most in within their families, that stuff's going on. It shouldn't be that difficult of a conversation to have. Why is it difficult? And I, and I still don't understand. Being a 21st century woman, especially a Muslim woman in a Western country, I find it weird that why are we having to have a debate about mental health? Yeah. Why? Why are we still having, why is it still difficult to have a conversation about mental health? Yeah. Why, why can't people just have a normal conversation and say, I'm going through a shit time. I don't know what to do. Like help. Yeah. And I feel like if you don't ask for help, then that is that is going to literally eat you up as a person. That's why people are taking their lives. That's why people are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. That's why people are going down a downward spiral and stuff like that. And also it annoys me as well. Like, I don't know about you, but I just hate it when people bring religion with mental health. 
Mm. I just don't yeah. like it. Yeah. It bugs yeah. me. You're gaslighting me. Yeah. You're gaslighting me. Because I'm telling you I'm going through something. You're going to be bringing God into it and gaslighting my emotions. Are you fried? Yeah. If it's like if if you said if you said to someone, "Oh, I'm I have an illness." Would they say, "Oh, pray about it?" No, you'd say, "Go to the doctor, get medication for it." Obviously, obviously prayer comes into it. I'm not saying it's completely irrelevant, but it's like I think people look at it as the only solution. Solution, yeah. It's not the only solution. Yeah, a mixture of prayer and all this. But just praying away a broken leg, is it going to fix it? No, of course not. You have to go to the root of the problem. Exactly. And you know what it is? Like, I feel like a lot of people think that, oh, because I'm going through mental health, that means, like, you know, my faith in God is, like, down or something. like. It's not that. It's not that. Even if if you really are religious and you really are following in Islam and stuff like that, you will know our prophet, Muhammad, he went through depression. Mm. Of course. I mean, of course. Like, so, you know what it means? It's one of those type of things where you can't be saying to people that it doesn't exist because our own prophet went through it. Like, yeah. you know, like when you throw that back at them, then they just like, oh, well, you know, no, it's not, you know, it is, it is what it is. Yeah. Depression is real. Mental health is real. Anxiety is real. All of this shit is real. No matter what you say is not going to change it. So don't gaslight the situation. I think it's our duty now as the new generation to stand up and say enough. Yeah. I want to be heard. This is what I'm going through. I don't care whether you think it's taboo. I don't care if people know what's going on and what's what I'm going through. I don't care. Maybe someone can relate to me. Maybe someone might come and say to me, you know what? I actually really rate the fact that you actually spoke up. So that's why they might come and tell me their problems. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's the fact that you need to be willing to listen to someone. It's not about answering back to the person. It's about listening. The moment you sit down and listen to someone and make them feel heard, that's when you have achieved something by just sitting there and listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. But, I mean, this is the thing, like, Aki, it's just... I don't know, I just wish... I, like, I've been to... So, I literally walked out of talks, Islamic talks. Like, I used to go to... You know me, man. I, I love Islamic talks. Like, I love being around loads of Muslims and feeling inspired, feeling like, when you're around those Muslims, your Iman gets really high, your faith, it is, there's like a surge in your faith, and I yeah. love that feeling, it's like a high, but like, I've been to Islamic places, and I went to this set, my mum was like, oh, you need to go to this, um, this local uh, class where they're, le- where they're teaching about what the Quran means and everything, and I was like, alright, fine, I'll go, and then the lady said something like, something stupid, and said, oh, um, if you do, you know, if you if you believe in God, you don't. There's no such thing as depression. And I was like, okay, I'm not coming back here because. And everyone in the everyone in the class was just like, hmm, yeah, you're right, sister. I was just like, you're stupid. You're stupid. And I hope you never have to deal with this. But you know, usually it, it's the kind of thing that, and everybody I know that has said there's no such thing as depression in Islam, it's come it's come around, and and they've had to actually be confronted with how. how enormous a problem it actually is um and you know and this is the thing like we're already dealing with this stuff from a country that is built on white supremacy and post-colonialism and a a patriarchy we're already dealing with that so why don't why our our islamic community and our asian community and our african community that we need to stand together and understand the issues that that we're facing with our mental health um, but 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 unfortunately, I just think it's going to take a couple of generations for this to be ironed out, Aki. Because 
even though I like I'm I'm a proper obedient kid like I'm an obedient kid with my parents but I challenge them every day like I feel like I exhaust them because I challenge them so much like me and my mum oh my god I was having a conversation with my mum I did a I did a, a, a workshop on racism and and like volunteering uh, over the yeah. weekend and my mum watched it and I was really surprised that she watched it and she was just like how did you say all of that though? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you were talking about white privilege, but there was white people there. And then she, I was like, mum, saying white privilege is not racist. Like, why do you, <laughs> every time I say the word white in my house, they're like, um, stop it Zara, stop being racist. And I, I get where it comes from because yeah. they're both their neighbors are white. So it's like this fear of like still not being accepted. And the thing is I've like, thankfully I've come away from that because I've, I've, you know, had the opportunity my parents have given me the opportunities and society has given me the opportunity to actually go out and educate myself and speak to different people my family don't have that they didn't have that um and and therefore they still have this mentality that oh no we have to watch our we have to watch what we say and we have to bite our tongue and and we have to do whatever we can do to be palatable to white people and 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 I think that's another thing that literally I have I have this conversation with my family every single time I go and see them and I love them so much, but it's just like, I mean, it's bizarre. And I, we live in a very racist area. So, and whoever says different is not is not paying attention. Sun is so racist, and it has always been racist. Um, and and I think it's just, I think it's so um, it's just so interesting, like the differences in what our our fam- our generation, the generations before us, have had to deal with, and the, the struggles we face. I think with my dad and with my granddad and my mum is about survival whereas our fight and our struggle is about identity yeah. they were they were struggling to just be accepted we're, we're already in and we're, we're just trying to find our footing so the struggle is very different and I'm not going to say that mine's easier than them or more difficult it's just different um yeah. like I do think that the racism I've faced is no in no way similar to the racism my granddad and my dad faced because it was so yeah. every day then, like they would be called, my granddad would be called the N-word at work and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I find it so, oh, it's just, it's, it's crazy to think about what they went through. But when I'm, they don't realise that when I'm standing up for it and when I'm talking about it and being vocal, it's because I've seen all the stuff that they've gone through. And, and that's mm-hmm. who I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for them to, to not have to feel so scared anymore. Um, yeah. and, I, and I hope they do realise that, but literally, that's that's what it's for. Um, it's not for anyone else. And I just, I don't know. I just think it, it's hard. It's really hard to kind of like. I love having these conversations with people like you, and having conversations with, with people who are like minded, and putting stuff out there on the internet because I know people will people like it and people want to listen to it. But the internet is for people that you know you're, you're trying to find belonging. And that's why, like, when I when I see a video that I love and that talks about race and it's it's on point and it's well-researched, it's well-thought-out, I jump on it and I'm like, this is great because I don't see it day-to-day. And, and that's mm. the thing, like, the majority of this country does not think like that. The majority yeah. of, of people that we know don't have, don't have those thoughts. Even people I went to school with, like, people I went to school with, I sat next to them in class and they are still racist. They believe I shouldn't be here. That's absurd. Like, it's absurd to believe that that's still happening. But I'm just, I'm grateful that I can have conversations like this. I think it's important for every, I think it is important for mental health to be able to, even if it's just a rant, like, to be able to have a conversation like this and 
speak to like-minded people who want to be better and who want to educate ourselves like I don't think either one of us is saying oh we're so intelligent but we're just willing to learn and we're willing to listen yeah and I think that's that's where it all comes actually where it all stems from is the fact that I want to learn more I want to understand and I'm willing to do the research and I'm willing to do the the time the effort the work and you know put my work into it as well and do what I need to do to learn about it I don't I I don't think it's I'm not saying that you know my pain is not as much as their pain I'm not saying anything as that I'm just saying that everything that's going on you have a part to play in you have a part whether you take part in it or you stay quiet or you do something about it. you're playing a part in something in this whole situation whether it be us talking about mental health and we're saying that therapy has helped us now it's up to you whether you think that oh okay maybe I could try therapy maybe I won't try therapy maybe I'll stay quiet maybe I'll go down the medication route maybe I might do x y and z whatever works out for you you're going to have to do it all by yourself ultimately it comes down to you as a person you are responsible yeah you as an individual are responsible for what happens what you do and your own well-being and how you want your life to be if you want to make your life different and you want to be happy you need to have that conversation with yourself and say to yourself no I want to be happy I want to change and I don't want to do this anymore it's not going to happen to you overnight where you're just going to wake up and be like yeah I'm great Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen trust me if it was that easy the whole world would be fine but everyone would be fine all the people that have lost their lives have you know taken their lives they wouldn't have done that yeah if it was that easy of course so you know like you the main the moral of this part is you are responsible yeah you know no one else is you have the power to change whatever you can whatever platform you have use it to make that change so you made me watch a (laughs) like well Siri on BBC and it's called I May Destroy You I really enjoyed that it's incredible like there isn't I can't actually oh my god I'm smiling talking about it it's it's honestly (laughs) one of the best things I've ever seen and it's not even I mean obviously it's nice it's nice to see main character I I love the fact that all the main characters are not white yeah That's, that's brilliant to see and also um I just I love I love the the characterization of the different black characters like there's so much variety um there's so much variety in how she how she portrays them as well like she doesn't just have one type of black Londoner it's so many different types of black Londoners the fact that she's a successful writer it's so true to life it's it's the black people we know do you know what I mean like it it's yeah. not it's not like the, the stereotype of the stereotype that you know that's been written by a white person. Do you know what I mean? Like it's you can yeah. tell that it's written by a black person who is. Yeah. I mean, she's brilliant anyway. She's done. She's done so much, so many amazing things before this. But I think the biggest thing for me is the writing. Like I was literally watching it, and I was just like, this writing is fantastic. The way that the way that the flashbacks come in, the way that she, um, the way that things kind of come back on themselves, the way that the characters are not necessarily what they seem and like mm. twists that happen um I just think it's so clever and obviously she's dealing with she's dealing with um the aftermath of sexual assault and yeah. 
even like the way that she's dealing with it, it's just so, you know, whenever we see women dealing with rape on on TV, it's always a white woman dealing with rape. So we mm. empathize with a white woman dealing with rape, but do we empathize with a black woman in the same way? And I mm. think I think that's why it's so important that that stuff like this needs to come out because it it will be and like the thing is black women are so often so often stereotyped into the the aggressive angry black woman or the sassy black woman or the feisty black woman or um they're overly sexualized and do you know what's really interesting about the fact black women are overly sexualized but they have the highest rates of celibacy in the uk really yeah but they're the most sexualized types of women on in the media and i think that's you know, it, that's again, like I just think she's coming with facts and figures, guys. <laughs> she's coming with numbers. <laughs> that's when you know shit is real. <laughs> but I just think it's so. I just think it's so. I just think it's brilliant. Like I just, I am so, I'm so inspired by it. But at the same time, it's like, oh my god, like this is what we were waiting for. And yeah. all it was that we wanted was representation. Like that's that's what it is. Like. It's representation, it's real, it's true to life, it's current. Um, the way that the characters speak to each other, the way that the friendships work, um, the way that, you know, everything, their friendships are like a family. Um, it's just, and, and you know, the way that, have you seen when she actually speaks to her actual family? Have you seen that episode? Uh, is it the one where she's with, her dad comes to the mum's yeah. birthday? Yeah. yeah, 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 I saw that part as well. What's been your favourite part so far? favorite part hmm. oh it's hard because it's all so good um I think mine has to be when she I'd have to say that part where she actually talks to her mum yeah because she she was ready like you know she didn't tell her soon afterwards it took her time to tell her mum and stuff like that and I think that was a very groundbreaking moment for me I feel like that was a very some people may agree on some people might you know I I don't know but I feel like opening up to your loved ones when you go through such a traumatic um experience like that is a is a groundbreaking revelation at that time yeah and and so Sorry. I think that was really powerful. That whole ep- that whole ep- that whole episode was very powerful. Yeah, because I, she also discovered about her dad because it showed that yeah. she was ignoring a lot of things yeah, and she yeah. like pushed it right in the back of her mind. And then she was like going back in time, and then she realized a lot of things. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but she started realizing things, and then she was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, and that's but that's that's PTSD though, like PTSD, like. You, you block it out and you have flashbacks. All of those, everything that she deals with is PTSD, like live and in the flesh. That's literally what it feels like for trauma victims. And I don't know how, like genuinely, like she's a genius because like I, I was like, when I was at uni, I was reading about trauma and things like that. And trauma is like, the way they, they, the way they describe trauma is the shock that keeps shocking. So it's like something that just keeps... It just, it, it's something also outside of the normal human experience. So it's something that, you know, if you're having you know, a normal life, you won't experience trauma. It's something that we're not equipped to necessarily handle. Uh, and this can be different for everybody. And for her, it was, you know, something that, something that happened with her family that was, um, that was a traumatic experience that she, that she kind of squashed away um, in the back of her mind. And I just yeah. think it, 
it's so true to life how it just came out and different things reminded her of it. Like it was something that her dad said and it reminded her. And I just, you just, you, you, it's not predictable. You don't see it coming. It's not a cliche. Um, I think a lot of the time in, in a lot of these things with them, for characters, for female characters, the arc is that that they were um, sexually abused when they were younger. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't go down that route. Um, just because that's, it's almost like, a woman needs to be sexually abused in order to have her story. Um, I feel yeah. like that a lot, and we've seen that in things like 13 Reasons Why. It's like it's like a validating experience, which is so problematic. Like, why, why, does, why does a female character need to be raped in order to have her story? Um, I, I find it unnecessary a lot of the time. But I think in this, the way that it was done is different because it is about sexual assault, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is so much deeper um, and, it, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a metaphor. I, I, to me, it's a big metaphor about race, but it's only because I see race in everything. But, um, but yeah. When you watch stuff like this, it's really good because it, it puts everything into perspective for people that don't know yeah. what, what people are going through. And, you know, like, I think it's great because not only is obviously like, you know, the plot of the story is basically about sexual assault. It also is talking about, you know, going to the police, reporting stuff. Um, it's it, it talks about a lot of, like, there's so many subliminal messages within every episode and you're just like, wow. Like, you, you, don't, you don't think of it that way until you finish watching it and you're just like, oh, my God, I learned something from this, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's important as well, especially for our generation, like, you know, it's stuff like this like I also I watched this and um the like not long ago I just finished um sex education yeah how was that I didn't uh, watch that I I liked it and I think it's really good there's a lot of like um there's a lot of also it's the same like I may destroy you with like it leaves with a message yeah. so you learn something from it type mm-hmm. of thing so yeah. it's one of those things where if you if you like I may destroy you then definitely try um yeah I think I will um I think um one of the other things was um there was an episode that was set in 2004 and um it was it was set when like when she was at school and there was the soundtrack was all these garage songs yeah you know when you know when a film it goes back in time to like the 80s or like the 50s or whatever um it, it, I've never obviously understood it because I wasn't alive in the 80s or the 50s, um, but I've never watched a flashback and actually felt like I was in that time. But I watched this flashback and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in 2004. That's, it, it was literally like being transported back in time. And I don't, I don't know, I just think it, it's so true to life. If you can do that as a writer, you, you, it, it just takes so much talent and... I think I, I appreciate it for all those reasons and just the stuff that she deals with in terms of her relationship and her friendships and the way that her mum, yeah. um, her mum is not, you know, her mum's not, uh, her mum's got these kind of um, African ideals, like she's, she's silent, she's, um, you know, she's, she's a, a woman of few words, like she's, she's been, she's had to endure all of this stuff that's happened to her, she's resilient um, and I like the fact that she was that character because I think too often we don't see that character enough um and it's so true to life like we know we know someone like that um that you know it's just enduring and just and just you know 
um, has has to withstand stuff and just and just be silent throughout it all, but but be there for other people. Um, so yeah, I think I think I agree. I think the mum is probably one of my favorite characters, actually. Yeah, I think the the um, episode ten is the best one. Yeah, well, I think episode oh, ten. All the way up to episode ten, you watched the whole thing. I didn't even realize I watched the whole thing. Clearly, I have. <laughs> yeah, it's been <laughs> episodes out. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah, no, I watched up to episode ten, and then also like episode nine, I really liked that as well. My favorite part in episode nine was when she, she was. Um, it was like a Halloween thing going oh on. Oh my god! And she, yes. turned, and she turned around and said. <laughs> She turned around and said to her, guys, it's really amazing that you think your opinion should just be heard. And I was just like... <laughs> I literally was going to say that that is the best bit. It's just, it's so funny. Like, she's, it's actually really funny as well. And and that's what yeah. I think is brilliant about it. Like, it, it's dealing with all of this stuff, like sexual assault, um, PTSD, racism, um, yeah. even like forced rape accusations it deals with. But it still manages to be funny. Like she's just yeah. you can't oh man, like I just feel like people I think it's a great series. I really enjoyed it. Like how many series how many episodes are these? Like ten. They're, but they're only ten. half an hour episodes, so they're quite yeah. it's quite easy to watch all ten. Do you know what? It was actually because I was cleaning my room and I was just watching it and I was like, oh my god, like and you know like it just like auto plays the next one and I'm just like going, going. So yeah. clearly I was doing ten episodes worth of cleaning in my room. Wow, that is a lot. That's five hours of cleaning, mate. Are you okay? Your room must be tidy. No, it's not. It really <laughs> is not. <laughs> it really is not but yeah no I really liked it and I before before we did this podcast Sarah said to me she's like you need to watch I May Destroy you so we could talk about it and I was like okay cool <laughs> I'm really glad to watch it though um you're you're a good person to recommend stuff to because when people recommend me stuff I'm just like no but um honestly the reason I watched it is because I was speaking to my friend Georgina and she was like um she she brought she was like have you seen it and I was like no she was like oh my god just watch it tonight just watch one episode tonight it's only half an hour um and she was saying it's just the reason the, the how she sold it to me was she was saying it's um it's it's what typical Londoners do like that you know you not not me necessarily I don't go on a night out and take loads of drugs but it's a normal thing and the fact that it's not taboo like there's no like moral thing about oh if you do drugs this will happen to you. It's not it's not saying that. It's just it's yeah. it's portraying re- the real life of young Londoners now. Um yeah. and and I think that's that's what's so powerful about it because it's written by a Londoner now whereas yeah. so much other stuff like so much stuff in in the media and what what I'm starting to question more and more about now is like there's so much stuff we've been given in TV. Um, about Asian culture, about uh, black culture, and it's been written by a white person, uh, or the, the the majority of the writing team has been white, and it's like we're learning about black culture and Asian culture from uh, so from a majority white white group. And I was reading stuff about diversity schemes in TV and how they're literally rubbish, because you know you, you might fight your way on to, to get a diversity uh, placement, and then once you get there, you're literally edged out of every conversation. So there's no point in you being there, literally. And the fact that diversity schemes exist is a travesty because, you know, the fact that you need a diversity scheme in order to hire people who don't look like you, really, like, that's a failure. That's such a failure on part of the system. And this is why racism is systemic and not, um, 
it's not a one-off thing. It's not, oh, I experienced racism the other day. It's, it's experiencing it all the time. Um, but not sometimes like not even knowing that it's racism. And I think that's the worst part. Or like you talk about, I had a conversation when I was at work and I was saying to somebody, um, I was talking about Ramadan because she asked me, and this was in front of a lot of people, bear in mind. And she was like, oh, oh, fasting. Like, that's barbaric. What, you're not even allowed to have water? And I was like, where the hell have you been, mate? You're really <laughs> not allowed to have water. I was like, oh, is it one of those ones? Like, yeah, not even water. <laughs> it was that. And then I was like, no. Um, her name was Kimberly. <laughs> I was like, no, Kimberly. Um, we're not allowed to have water. And then she was like, oh, well, that's really barbaric. You're ruining your body. And I was like, I'm sorry. But who the hell do you think you are? And I was just like, well, that's my religion. And I was at work and she was a volunteer. So I couldn't really put her in a place as much as I wanted to. But uh, we're the same age. And it was just bizarre to have someone who's the same age as me talk to me like that. And talk down to me, especially when I'm a staff member. To have, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, it was like... Zara showing her authority. She's like, don't talk to me like that. Who do you think you are? And then, um, and then I spoke about it the next day to a colleague. And I was just like, oh, like... Um, that really upset me I, I I, you know I didn't I really was uncomfortable in that situation and they were like oh no I knew you were going to get upset um that's just healthy debate and no, I'm like, it's not putting down your religion is not a healthy debate that's not who asked for your opinion like you're not an authority of Islam you know nothing you clearly know nothing about it why is that okay like but it, literally I've been undermined so many times like and if I knew what gaslighting was when I was back then or when I was younger, it would have been so ideal. But the fact that it just goes to show like how far behind, like the, the word gaslighting, I only discovered it, what, like three, four years ago? Um, mm. And it's just like, how many times did it happen to me before I understood that that was a thing? And yeah, it's just, it's hard when you don't have the tools to articulate yourself. Um, but but I think it's happens. so important though that, you know, if you are, if you are doing the most on social media, then also it's your responsibility to research on certain things. That's how I see yeah. it. As if you're always on social media, da, da 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 da, it's your duty as well to research things. Yeah. Because yeah. then it just shows that you're not trying, you're not go- trying to be one of those ignorant people that are going to be just saying dumb stuff like that. Like, oh, you're not even allowed to drink water. Like Ramadan has been going on for yeah millions of years, millions and zillions of years, and it's not a, a shocking thing where people are just like, oh, you know, so you're not even allowed to have water. We're not allowed to have anything yeah. until the sun sets. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's one of those things. Like, do your research, do your Googles, do your Googles, Google the whole bloody thing and figure it out and see what it's about. Learn about it, educate yourself about it, educate about yourself about racism, educate yourself about, you know, white privilege, educate yourself about other people's religion. There's so many things that you can do. Educate yourself, learn. That's only if you're willing to learn. If you're not willing to learn, then you are going to just be ignorant and never know these things. Mm. Yeah. yeah but 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 that's the thing like I think a lot of people up until very recently haven't had to learn so they just haven't like and it's only now it's a lot is annoying me as well though like people that were so blatantly racist and I were like oh I'm educating myself I'm taking the time out to educate myself and I was like I'm sorry you're taking the time out to educate yourself like do you not see how much material there is out there on social media that you can be using Follow, follow some young black influencers and look at what they're saying and have a look at what they're saying and read about it. You yeah. don't need to take time out 
to like people are like oh, I haven't posted because I'm not saying you need to post to show support for anything but but I think that you know like to say oh I've been taking time out it's like mate this is stuff that we've been born knowing and you literally mm. are, are are trying to learn about it when you're in your late 20s like what, what planet are you living on like is that how is that how you, you have you really not empathized with anybody that much have you really only stuck to people that look like you um, it's hard as well because like obviously like you said when we started it's like being Muslim being young Muslim women and then also going through like you know we get you know the, uh, it's hard man like you know there's Islamophobia there's also racism like sexism everything there's like you know we we're going through it <laughs> We really are struggling out here, you know, <laughs> just just trying to live my best life. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. You know, like I don't I, I feel like I don't need to be one of those type of people where I have to like literally bang my chest just to vocalise something. You should just see it naturally. And I also don't like the fact that, you know, when people are just like oh but you know did it did it no it's not oh x y and z are going through it every single person from different backgrounds is going through their own thing mm-hmm. it doesn't matter the only difference is that we're not white yeah you know yeah, yeah and i mean i think it's like it just speaks volumes that do you know what i really want to have a word with? i want to talk to like white men who are like allies because I just feel like all of my white male friends that are allies and that are speaking up they are like the best people I know do you know what I mean like when white men actually stand up for the cause people love them like so I'm like why do you want to choose to be racist when you can choose to be loved by everyone like that's what I find so bizarre like the white men will be they will be applauded for even doing so, you know, for even just doing one post, you'll be applauded for it. Like people will jump on that. People will be like, "Yes, look at what this person's doing. Look at look at them shouting. Look look at them using their privilege." So instead of you know being like, "Oh, I don't think privilege is," this but should that be rewarded? No, I don't think it should be. I don't think it should be. But so just because, like, because if you if you think of it from this perspective, do you think just because a white person is posting something that we should reward them reward them? For educating themselves um no but however i think that we're not going to get anywhere if we don't have white men repping the cause if, if it's just people of color Aki, like it, nothing will happen no things will happen white people need to be behind this in order for it to happen now i'm not saying we need to praise white people for doing the bare minimum i'm not saying that but i'm talking about the perspective like i was speaking to somebody recently and they were like oh um you know it, like i know they, they were talking about someone they knew that was racist and they were like, oh, I feel like white men can't say anything anymore. We're the victims now. We can't do anything. And I'm like, you can feel sorry for yourself or you could do the bare minimum and people will respond to you in a different way. So I'm just like, you have a choice here. You have a choice to not use your privilege and cry about it or use your privilege and make a difference. But that in itself, what you're saying right there just shows that because they're white, they have power to make a change. Yeah, but that's the thing. Use your power. Like... Like I think I think that's the the issue. Like I don't 
this is like I have this conversation with a lot of people. They're like, "Oh, do you do you not like white people?" Of course, I of course I don't have a problem with with. I, how can I say I hate all white people? That's 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 prejudice and it's wrong. Um, I have I'm not going to say I have white friends to say that I like white people, but I just feel like white people who stand by it and rep the cause. People like Reese Witherspoon. I have so much time for Reese Witherspoon. Like I hope she doesn't let me down. But like <laughs> she's really repping the cause. Like in terms of sexism, in terms of racism, she stands up for it. She uses her privilege, she uses her power. We live in a world where white people, the, the power, the, 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 where the power stands is disproportionate. So use your power and, and, you know, parcel it out, give it to someone else. And that's what I'm saying. I think even if you're a working class white man, you still have a lot more power than I do. So use it because, the, like, I'm not, if a white person stands up for, for people of colour, I'm not going to be like, oh, where have you been all this time? I'm going to be like, thanks for doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, but like, white people think they're oppressed sometimes because, because they think that, I remember having this conversation when I was at uni. I was being a, I was being a dick. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was being a dick at the time. I, was, I said to my friend, I was like, all of us are of colour. Um, and one of my, I said to one of my friends, she was Pakistani. I was like, oh, if you could be any race, what would you be? And she was like, I'd be white. And um, one of my friends there was white and she was with her boyfriend. And her boyfriend was like, um, why would you want to be white? You can't say anything. It's so tough to be white right now. And do you know what, Aki? I actually felt sorry for him. I was like, I'm so sorry. I felt bad. I felt bad that he said, I wish I, t- I, wish I could go back in time and be like, I'm sorry. What did you want to say? What did you want to say that you're not allowed to say? Did you want to say the N-word? Did you want to say Paki? Did you want to tell me to go home? Like, what did you want to say so badly that you can't say? And that's what gets me when people are like, oh, you can't say anything these days. It's just like, if you're not racist or sexist or homophobic, you don't need to worry about what you're going to say. You know what I mean? You, you can say yeah. what's in your mind. You're only worried about it because you have problematic beliefs. But, um, but yeah, I just think it's... We've, we've fought so hard for a long time to make things palatable to, what, to a white audience. Like, even the way that we deal with race... Like, did you hear about, um, you know, the bus boycott? Yeah. Um, so everyone knows Rosa Parks um, sparked off the bus boycott. But actually before, I think it's like nine months before Rosa Parks did this, um, a young black 15-year-old called Claudette Colvin, she, um, she did the exact same thing. But she is written out of history because, one, because she was dark-skinned, um, and two, because she was pregnant and she was 15. So they thought... Because she's pregnant and she's pregnant outside of wedlock, they're going to use that to discredit the movement. So therefore, they went with Rosa Parks, who was lighter skinned, who was older, and who has. When you look at her, you know you just see you see grace. Do you know what I mean? Like she she stands. They were like, that's what, that's the idea. We we want to have an older an older um, black woman to actually be the face of this. I mean, I love Rosa Parks. This is not undermining what she did at all. But Claudette Colvin has written out of history just because she happened to be pregnant, even though she stood up in the exact same way. And and I think that's that's the thing, like everything has been palatable to a while. Since then, everything yeah. has been palatable. And, and I think that's such a shame because how many people have been written out of history? Because, because and there's probably still so many unsung heroes out there that yeah, we don't know about. Definitely, you know. definitely. And like, I mean, even um, Malcolm X is wrongly remembered in history. Everyone says, oh, Malcolm X was... He hated white people. Malcolm X did not hate white people. Ma- Malcolm X went through such a journey. Um, have you seen his autobiography, the film? No, I haven't. Um, it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, it's good. Is it on Netflix? I'm not sure, actually. I think I watched it a while ago. But Denzel Washington plays Malcolm X. And um, so he, okay. he started off with 
so they used to uh, chemically, I think it's chemically straighten their hair by putting lye into it, into it. And I read about this in the autobiography and it literally would burn their scalp, right? And the reason they would do it is to make their hair straight. Um, and at the time, that was the only way to be seen like by men. He, he was doing that when he went to prison. People were saying, oh, you did that to look like a white man. And then when he went to prison, this is when he converted to the nation of Islam, which is, um, it's not Islam, um, but you can kind of understand why he, so Nation of Islam was all about taking black, taking back um, agency for black people. So it was very much this kind of black activist group. I don't like to call it black supremacy because it's, it's not. Um, I think it was there for a reason. I think it was there because um, people wanted to not kind of be, um, you know, pushed over. I and mean, there was so, they were dealing with so much oppression back then. Um, is it any is it any wonder that they would kind of come together and come up with that? But anyway, he came away from nation. So when he was in Nation of Islam, he he there was a lot of quotes where he's just where he he dismisses white people, and for that reason, people say that he's racist in history. But then actually, he converted to Islam. He became Sunni, and he went to Hajj, and he um, in Hajj he saw all of these different types of people all together. And I think the quote is something like, I sat with a, a man with, with white skin and blue eyes and we were brothers. So to him, Islam made him see all men as equal. And he came away from that. And, and unfortunately, sadly, he was assassinated, I think, less than two years later. But, but that's the thing. No one, no one recalls that. No one, no one talks about that side of him because it's easier to remember him as a troublemaker. But actually, yeah. I think it's always easier to remember someone for the bad things and not for the good things. It's just like, oh, well, remember when he did this, this, this. And it's like, but what about all the good stuff as well? Like, yeah. people are not going to be remembered for those type of things, which is really just Definitely. sad. Sad, it's sad. Like, you know, there's so many things. There's so many things that we are yet still to discover. And it's all we're always going to be learning. We're always going to be discovering new things. Definitely. You know, like right now, the whole Black Lives Matter situation is happening. We need to put our, like, you know, put our time and attention and focus and educate ourselves on that as well, you know, like, to the point where, you know, we support them as much as we can. Definitely. And we also need to, there's so much more that we need to learn. Like, there's always going to be something that happens that's going to kick off something and we're going to have to do our part. It's always going to be that case, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, but you're right, like people will conveniently remember what they want to remember. Like people want to remember Martin Luther King. It's like you pick and choose. It's like you yeah. pick and choose. I want to remember this about this person. So yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, because it suits their own belief. Because they were like, oh, they want, everyone, everyone wants to quote Martin Luther King, but you forget Martin Luther King got assassinated. Do you know what I mean? Like he got assassinated. No one liked him. He had so many people that were against him. So don't pretend that <laughs> that, you know, you would have necessarily loved him at that time because you know he it was it was revolutionary to to have those yeah. ideals at that time, and it's just I don't know, man. It's some, it's sometimes exhausting, but I, my, this is my idea. This is literally like like if I could speak to every single white man out there and be like, look, mate, like you you have a choice here. You have a choice to use your privilege for good. Just do it. Use your privilege for something good. Like be on the brighter side of history. Like what you yeah. can be self entitled. You can be self-indulgent you can literally be selfish and you can be racist or you can do you can do something and you can you can create change um and unfortunately you know a lot of people are going to be on the former side of things but you know I, I, that's just my view and I, and I 
it's not as if I don't know white men who are like that. I do. Like, uh, all of my white friends are literally like that. And they stand up for the cause. And because how, how are we meant to go forward if white people are not, are not on that same, on the same side as us? Like, we need to be on the same side. And yeah. it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of white people to acknowledge mm. their privilege. Um, but, but that's the thing. It's meant to be. It's meant to be uncomfortable. And then, and that's how we... That's how we progress, yeah. That's how we... I mean, we have privilege as well, and it's not always comfortable to, to notice. Like, my, my skin is fairer. Like, I have I have light skin privilege. It makes me feel sick to think that, but I still have it, and therefore I'm going to use my platform to, to talk about it and why it's wrong and why it's messed up, and I'll call out people if they say I have a nice complexion or if I'm, or if I'm really pretty just on the basis that I have lighter skin or if they say someone is pretty for having dark skin. Um, or if they say that they don't want to date someone because they have darker skin, I, I will call that out. But it's, I don't know, it's just, there's so many prejudices and so many hidden things that we need to root out. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully in time we'll get there. You know, that's what all we can do. We can just hope. And there's, there's a lot of work left to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um i think that's it for today i think we had yeah i think we had a great discussion and you know we can definitely we'll definitely have you back and we can talk about more things and you know go more in depth with certain topics as well if anyone wants us to and you know i think it was great to have you on here because it just it's like it's nice to talk, like you know you said like-minded conversations you don't feel like you're you don't feel like you're going to be misjudged on what you say and I think a lot of people feel that way as well so hopefully if anyone does listen to this I hope you all feel like you know you can relate to what we have spoken about today whether that will be about you know racism or you know you know mental health or you know wearing a hijab or anything like that whatever we've spoken about today if you guys feel like you can relate then you know it's that's our job done basically you know like just to let you know that we get it so you know hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and thank you so much Sarah I really appreciate you coming on here oh you're welcome mate anytime I really enjoyed talking to you thank you so much for having me Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed having you. I knew you could talk, so I was like, yeah, Zara has to come on here. <laughs> and it's been a long thing coming as well. I think you you kind of subliminally knew in the back of your mind that one day I was going to make you do this. So. <laughs> oh, no, I was really flattered when you asked me, actually. So thank you. That was very nice of you. Oh, no, I'm glad you're here and we did this. And hopefully we'll have you again soon. I just want to say one more thing. Sorry, I know that you want to go, but I just want to say um, I'm really, really proud of you for everything that you're doing. And oh. so, I know, but it's like, it's not easy to put yourself out there anyway, to learn a whole new skill, to do something that, you know, in the back of your mind you want to do, but actually to get that motivation and that impetus to, to go ahead and do it. Like, it's not easy. And even to be so open and upfront about the stuff you're going through. And, and I know, like, I completely get that having an outlet like this is so important when you're dealing with shit. And I'm just so proud of you for, for dealing with this in, in the, in like, honestly, like you're, you're, you inspire me a lot. And like, I think it's just such a, you're a role model in the sense of how you're, how you're kind of taking this on board and, and giving people a voice and talking about things that matter. Like you're using your platform for change. And 
I think if everyone did that, we would live in a much better world than we do. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. You're going to make me cry, man. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, guys, I'm getting teary now. So we're going to end the podcast here now. Thank you so much, Zara. I really appreciate you being here. And everything that you said really means a lot to me. And um, that's that's all I that's all I want to do, which is basically give people a platform to be able to say what they need to say. And you know, every conversation is unique within itself as well. And that was the aim. And I'm I'm glad that you can see that it means so much to me. And I'm not gonna cry, but <laughs> I'll cry afterwards. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for that. That's so sweet for you to say that. Thanks, Axe. Yeah. And uh, that's all for today, guys. Bye. Bye.